Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, April 16th. I'm Nyla Boody. Here's how we're making you smarter today. How lawmakers at the border are reacting to the crisis there. Plus, new sweeping sanctions against Russia. But first, the ongoing tension in Minneapolis is today's one big thing. On Fridays, we've been wrapping up the week's news in the trial over the killing of George Floyd. But this week, that's been overshadowed by another police killing in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, of Dante Wright. This audio from a protest on Tuesday recorded by Reuters. Protests and police clashes are happening less than 10 miles from where former police officer Derek Chauvin is standing trial for the death of George Floyd. Tori Van Oot is with Axios' Twin Cities. Hi, Tori. Hi, thanks for having me. Tori, clashes between police and protesters have been steady throughout the week. What do we need to know about what's happening outside the Brooklyn Center Police Department? We've seen several nights of protests sparked by the killing of Dante Wright, who was shot during a traffic stop by a police officer in Brooklyn Center on Sunday. Protesters are angry and grieving over the death of another Black man in a police encounter. They are upset about the charges that were filed against the officer, Kim Potter, in the case. She's been charged with manslaughter on the ground. Many folks would like to see murder charges. There have also been complaints and protests over the tactics that police are actually using to respond to the protests this week. What is the conversation around police tactics being used during this unrest in Brooklyn Center? Protesters, activists, some members of the media have raised concerns about some of the crowd control measures that police use. And so they call these less lethal forces. It's things like tear gas, rubber bullets, flash grenades. And there's been a lot of complaints about these, that they're overly aggressive, that they put people's health at risk, and that they could actually incite more agitation and violence on the ground. There's also been some concerns raised about the impact on families who live in apartment buildings that are surrounding the police station here, where a lot of these protests are taking place. In addition to activists, some local politicians have spoken out about the use of tear gas, including the mayor of Brooklyn Center. His city council actually passed a resolution seeking to ban the use of tear gas in some of these munitions. But because the protest response is being led by state and county law enforcement officials, it has still been used in some cases. Of course, it was already tense in Minneapolis with the Chauvin trial. We're talking about 10 miles away. The defense started their case this week. What's the main takeaway of the week so far? I think the biggest takeaway of the week was that Derek Chauvin did not testify in his own defense. He uh, invoked his Fifth Amendment rights on Thursday and chose not to take the stand. On one hand, testifying would have given him the opportunity to tell jurors what he was thinking. On the other hand, testifying would have opened him up to really intense questions from the prosecution during cross-examination. And so ultimately, he decided not to take the stand. What that means is that jurors are going to go into deliberations next week after hearing closing arguments, hearing from more than 40 witnesses, most of whom came from the prosecution, about everything from cause of death to police tactics, but not from the officer himself. Axios Twin Cities reporter Tori Van Oot. Thank you, Tori. Thanks. We're also watching the story of another police shooting in Chicago. Yesterday, officials released the video of the March 29th fatal shooting of 13-year-old Adam Toledo. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said the footage was incredibly difficult to watch. 
In 15 seconds, what some local lawmakers are saying about how we should understand the current border crisis. Welcome back to Axios Today. All week, we've been bringing you reporting from the U.S.-Mexico border because of two Axios reporters who traveled there last week to get an on-the-ground look at the surge in migrants coming in from Central America. This morning, Axios' race and justice reporter Russell Contreras is with us. He talked with two U.S. representatives about what comes next. Good morning, Russell. Good morning. These lawmakers are right on the border, but Texas Democrat Veronica Escobar took care to say it goes beyond that. I feel so frustrated that there is a call to continue with the same failed approach that obsesses over the border. Mm -hmm. This is not a border issue. Russ, what does she mean when she says that? What these congressional leaders say is that the border is a complex issue, but the problem is a systemic issue that goes all the way to Central America and is decades in the making. So they say if you want to address any kind of movement of migrants and tackle it from a humanitarian perspective, you have to look at the totality and something like a Marshall Plan for Central America is needed, not just putting more walls and more resources there in Sunland Park, New Mexico, or El Paso, Texas. And certainly, Russ, that gets at the systemic issues, but what is the immediate solution to everyone who's coming right now? What are they suggesting the Biden administration do? Well, Congresswoman uh, Veronica Escobar was very clear saying, look, I don't have any short-term solutions about what we should do. There are none. But what they do say, what should happen is the Biden administration should consider getting rid of Title 42. And that's the policy that expels migrants to Mexico while they await their asylum claims. They said that needs to be uh, addressed immediately. And migrants should get a chance to make their claim in court. Why are they applying for asylum? They want um, the administration to be open and transparent on how these migrants are being sheltered. So right now, as we speak, it is churches and nonprofits that are providing temporary shelter for immigrants. Axios' race and justice reporter, Russell Contreras. Thanks, Russell. Thanks for having me. Yesterday, the Biden administration announced sweeping economic sanctions against Russia for its interference in the 2020 election and for the massive cyber hack on U.S. companies and government agencies. I asked Axios's world editor, Dave Lawler, to send us his thoughts on what's driving this news. So there were a few penalties announced. The U.S. is expelling 10 Russian officials, sanctioning a bunch of Russian individuals and companies, and maybe most significantly, banning U.S. banks from making direct purchases of Russian sovereign debt, which a senior administration official said would have a, quote, chilling effect on the wider Russian economy. Still, the White House tried to send the message that these were balanced actions, that Russia shouldn't retaliate, and that they should try to look for a more stable path ahead rather than this pattern of escalation. Uh, Russia predictably disagreed. They responded by summoning the U.S. ambassador, and they warned that there was going to be some retaliation coming. Uh, The Russians are also being coy about the possibility of accepting President Biden's invitation for a summit in the coming months. The White House says that will be a way to try to cool tensions and chart the path forward. Uh, Meanwhile, the Russians have been massing troops near the border with Ukraine, and opposition leader Alexei Navalny is currently on a hunger strike in prison. So things don't exactly look stable and predictable at the moment. Dave Lawler is Axios' world editor. 
One last thing before we go. Tomorrow is the beginning of National Parks Week, and just for the day, entrance fees are being waived. My favorite national park is the Everglades. I hope you have a chance to enjoy yours this weekend. Tomorrow, check your feed for a special episode of our Hard Truth series. We're doing a deep dive on Latinos, health insurance, and the effects of one little-known rule. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. We're produced by Justin Kaufman, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, Sabina Singani, Naomi Shaven, and Amy Padula. Our mix engineer is Alex Sugiara. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer, and Sarah Kehalani Gu is our executive editor. As always, special thanks to Axios co-founder Mike Allen. At Pushkin, our executive producers are Lital Malad and Jacob Weisberg. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have the best weekend. <laughs>